Good evening, Greg. Hey, Miss Peggy. Glad y'all are watching. Everybody get on here. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me tonight. Hey, Miss Pam Hankey, how y'all doing? Miss Gail Ellis, Donna Stewart. Loney, thank you so much for being with us. Starting in just a couple of minutes. If you got a Bible while you're waiting, grab it. We're going to be in 1 John here in just a minute. 1 John, just a minute. Hey, Miss Jan, how you doing? Hey, hiding right people. Back at you. Glad to see all of y'all. Thank you for joining me tonight. I know sometimes on Wednesday night we get busy and uh, life just seems to pile on us. We always have more to do. Hey, Anna Brackett, watching as you have been commanded to watch and uh, it's required of you. I'll have some, uh, some quiz questions for you to ensure that you watch the entire video. I'm going to say a little word at the end that you have to know when I get home tonight. Otherwise, I'll know you did not watch. And uh, so... Uh, I'm teasing. Hey, Beaver family. Hey, Lingerfelts. How y'all doing? Thank you for joining me. So I do appreciate you joining Bryson City. Miss Tammy, what are you doing in Bryson City? You're supposed to take us with you when you go to Bryson City. It's a beautiful place. And uh, But I know how the week gets in on your Wednesday night. So to take the time out just for a few minutes and focus on the Word of God is encouraging to our hearts. And it's encouraging to me as well that you would take the time to do that. And I sure do appreciate that. Let me just say thank you, first of all, for the great response we had at Friend Day. Uh, Pastor Matt's going to be telling you more about that later on Sunday, but I just want to tell you that he had some goals and things in mind, and God did some great things in spite of the torrential downpour that we had. And I'm uh, thinking about buying some Liberty canoes, or at least Liberty life jackets, and uh, so it is a... Uh, it was a rough day, but God still blessed in spite of it, and Pastor Matt's preaching was just what it needed to be, and the praise team sang with the power of God on them, and it was just a great day, and so he's going to tell you more about that on Sunday, give you some numbers and things like that. I want to remind you of things going on here at Liberty. Now, let me just take, you know, I, I am not the discipleship pastor, um, but I want to remind you of the opportunities that are going on here at Liberty. If you are not in a life group yet, you need to get in a life group. I've been to some of the life groups, and I've sat there and fellowshiped with people from the church. We ate food together. We studied a Bible study based upon something that Pastor Matt had taught that just kind of drove home what we had been learning in church. It created fellowship and accountability. And I'm just here to remind you, I, there's lots of, of things that are great about a bigger church. One of the things sometimes is that you lose that, that closeness of a little church, but you can find that in a life group. And um, if you're not in a life group yet, please go to experienceliberty.org and sign up for one. Get in one and do life with God's people, build relationships, help your family. If you're only coming to Liberty for one hour on Sunday, you're just not really getting everything. It's just like it's just like going to McDonald's and only ordering fries and never trying anything else. Now, the tr fries are awesome, especially if they're hot. But uh, you've got to try all that other stuff, and Liberty won't make you fat like McDonald's will. So get in a life group. Those are going on all throughout the week. I know that uh, so, some of them are on Sunday. I know a couple on Tuesday nights. There are some on Thursday. And uh, so you need to get involved in those things if you are not involved in that. Every opportunity you have to grow, you ought to take advantage of. Then I'll remind you that we have this Bible study at 7 o'clock, and it's Facebook Live. We kind of talk to each other a little bit. But if you want more than this, uh, there is a rooted Sunday school class. It's a subgroup on Liberty. And right now we're teaching through the book of Colossians. It is a taped uh, class, so there's not that interaction. But if you want to learn about the Word of God, I'm happy to teach it as best as I know it. And you can find that on the Rooted group on Facebook, or you can go to just about any uh, podcast platform and just look for Rooted with Dusty, and it's the audio version of those. You can find it on YouTube as well if you want to get those things. So be aware of that. Let me remind you, too, of a lot of you come to the cafe and enjoy what God has done there in the church, enjoy the lattes and coffee. But I want to show you some of the books that we have. I brought two of them with me today. All right, I know these are backwards because my camera's backwards, but... Um, this is Paul Chapel's devotional, Daily in the Word, and then Rooted in Christ. And both of these are 366 devotionals 
that kind of gets you started on the day. Pastor Matt's been preaching about going deeper in the Word of God. And if you don't know where to read or where to start, this is great. Get one of these books out of the uh, cafe. Now, I went to uh, his school, West Coast Bible College, for a little while. And I got, got a little bit of education there. And he's a great church in Lancaster, California. And these books we can highly recommend to you. All right, and you can pick those up in the cafe. Now, they're about $15 because they're hardback, but I'm just here to remind you the church does not make any money. I mean, if you look on the back of it right at the bottom, you can't read it, but I'll tell it to you, $14.95. That's, that's about what we pay for them with the shipping and everything involved. We're not looking to make money. We're looking to build your life. And if you need a devotional, here's two of them right here that you can get. Now, Liberty's working on some of their own devotionals, but they're not ready yet. So in the meantime, here's two years worth of stuff that you can pick up and read. Check that out in the cafe. I feel like I'm running a, a, a TV evangelism uh, show, and I'm trying to sell my products to keep my ministry rolling. And if you do send an extra $50 into my ministry, I will sneeze on a handkerchief guaranteed to be corona-infected, and I will send it to you, and then uh, just change your life a little bit. All right, I'm done playing around. So First John, get your Bibles, turn to First John don't just put this video on and go find five other things to do. Take a few minutes, sit down with me, and let's learn about 1 John. Now, remember last time I told you that 1 John was written by John, the apostle, all right? He wrote John, the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. And so he wrote these books, and 1 John is kind of like the completion of John. It kind of picks up where John left off. We discussed the fact that the gospel of John teaches us to believe the gospel. But 1 John teaches us to behave the gospel. Because I gave you a couple of examples, and I'll just review one of them. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But 1 John 3.16 reminds us that we know that God loved us, and we know his love when we lay down our lives for the brethren. Reminds us to put our faith into action. And faith that's not put into action, the book of James says, is dead. Because it doesn't have any works. It's not real faith. And so don't just stop at John 3.16. Go on to 1 John 3.16 and allow God to work in your life. And work at showing the love of God to the world around us. And then we finished up last time with talking about the three witnesses in 1 John that assure us that we have eternal life. And so, Greg, I'm glad you're not flipping open your Bible uh, there, but I will expect you to listen so intently that you're going to answer my secret questions at the end as well. There are three witnesses in the book of 1 John that remind us that what we have is genuine. The first is the witness of God in his word. The anchor that I have is because God said so. That's how I know I'm saved. And I can take you to the verses that God used in my life to bring me to himself. The second is the witness of the spirit that I have dwelling within me. And how do I know I have his spirit? Because it makes me cry, Abba, Father. And I give you three references of Abba, Father in the Bible, which are all indications of the spirit of humility and dependence upon God as our Father. If you have that spirit, that's because you're saved. And then, finally, I gave you the witness of the life, uh, the life that we have within us. I'll stop just for a second. Joe Diglio, and seen you in a long time. Thank you for watching. It's good to see you here on Facebook. But the life that we have is the change life that God gives us, that transforms us from the inside out. And if you have that life, you know that you are a believer. So tonight, I want to talk about 1 John kind of in a bird's eye view. You know, if you buy a piece of property, you want to fly over it in a helicopter and see all the boundaries and the things where the creek comes in, the lay of the land, so to speak. And that just gives you the overview of it. But then, after you have ridden in the helicopter, you want to get on a four-wheeler and get down and dirty on the ground. So tonight we're going to be doing some flying over first, John. I'm going to point out some things of interest to you as we fly across and uh, look at some things. And as we progress over the next three or four weeks, we will get down into more detail. There's five chapters in 1 John. I hope that you are reading it. If you will read 1 John in one sitting, just sit down and read. You say, but Dusty, I can't read that long. Yeah, you can. You watched a whole series on Netflix that should have taken you three weeks and it took you three days. You can read five chapters out of the Bible. Just sit down and work your way through it. And I would always remind you that anytime you approach the Bible, anytime you're going to study God's Word, ask God to help you understand. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to open your understanding and then read in helpless dependence upon him. It is the indispensable principle of Bible study. Not knowing Greek, not having the right kind of Bible, none of those things are the indispensable principle. The indispensable principle is helpless reliance on the Holy Spirit to help you understand. And I don't care if you've ever been to school, he can open up things for you that you have never seen before and you need him. And so approach the word of God with that idea of helpless dependence. Now, looking at 1 John, what would be our key word for the book? This word is listed four times in the first 10 verses of 1 John. It's listed twice in verse 3, it's listed in verse 6, and in verse 7, and it is the word fellowship. Now, if you walk up to your unsaved friends at work and you tell them you want to get together for some fellowship, they're going to look at you weird because that is a that's almost a Christianese word. We know kind of what it means, but the world doesn't often use the word fellowship. And I heard a preacher say, well, it's two fellows in the same ship. And that's humorous and has an element of truth in it. But what fellowship really means is having something in common. Having in common. That's the idea of the word, the common part. And 1 John chapter 1 tells us that we have fellowship with one another as we have fellowship with God. It is like a triangle or, or a pyramid. The fellowship with God, the fellowship with one another, they all go together. Now, <clears throat> we understand what fellowship is even if we don't use the word. And we get in things to try to fill that void in our hearts for human interaction. That's why solitary confinement and being alone and away from everybody for extended periods of time are not usually good for human beings because we're geared to be part of something. And so you have all kinds of clubs and things that people get involved in, fraternities and societies and things like this that people get involved in. And I'm not talking about that kind of backslapping fellowship of all the guys hanging out at their club or being a mason or something like that. I'm not talking about those kinds of things. That, that, that's not the fellowship that God is talking about. And it's not the, the secret societies of, uh, y'all might be in the Illuminati, I, I have no idea. Uh, but the things that come with that, the Gnosticism, and if you know what that word means, you should listen to Rooted on Colossians as we're talking about it. But the Gnosticism of that intellectual secret knowledge or the asceticism of a lifestyle of like a monk being this little secret group over here, that's not what the Bible is talking about when it says fellowship. Fellowship means having things in common and working together toward a common goal. Now, here's what I want you to get. It is great for us to come to church and fellowship with other believers. It's an incredible thing. See, some of y'all just come to Liberty, but you are not part of the Liberty family. You're, you're, you're like that person that gets invited to a family reunion. You're not really related. Maybe you are by marriage to a second cousin twice removed on your mother's side, and you you don't feel apart. You don't get the inside jokes. You don't understand the dynamic because you're not really part of the family. Some of y'all come to Liberty like that. You come, sit down for your one-hour service, and you leave, and you're just not part of it. And so you don't understand the fellowship that exists at Liberty Church and among every group of believers. But this kind of fellowship is wonderful, but it's not the best thing. This kind of fellowship is the best because I have things in common. That's what fellowship means, have in common with God. The creator of the universe and Dusty Brackett have some things in common. I am a partner with deity. In other words, God has some things he wants to do, and he chose me to work with him in partnership to accomplish those goals. I don't know about you, but that is an incredible thing to consider, that we have fellowship. I love fellowshipping with you guys. Y'all are my people. All right. There's really not another group of people I would rather be around. And if there is another group of people that you'd rather be around, maybe you need to change groups or bring that group with you or something. But get here. I love this. But more importantly, I love this. And this exists because this exists. Because if you are having fellowship with God and I'm out of fellowship with God, this part is easy. And if there's a break between this fellowship, it's because somewhere there's a break between this fellowship. And I'm going to blame it on you because certainly it's not me. But I want you to just understand that fellowship, what John is talking about these four times in the very first chapter, he talks about having fellowship with God. It's an incredible thing because we have things in common with God 
Almighty. We partner with deity. So church is just not something I come down to, visit my friends, show off my new shoes or my clothes or to see people that I haven't seen all week or because there's just a buzz or an excitement. I come down here because this is the place where me and deity are partnering together to accomplish his purposes in the world. And when I get here, I find people who believe just like I do. We've got some things in common. And the fellowship is sweet, sweet, sweet. You just ought to be able to sit where I sat and Pastor Matt sat sometimes on Sunday. And the praise team is singing and God's presence is there. And I scan the crowd. And even in the limited light, I see hands raised, people worshiping, people crying. And then when Pastor Matt's preaching, I hear people saying amen. And just the commonness of fellowship and purpose energizes my heart and excites me to go back out into the world. And then when church is over and I leave, I'm exhausted. But man, I... I miss it and can't wait till we can get back together again. And the beauty of heaven will be that it will be uninterrupted fellowship. Uninterrupted. All those people who are setting at liberty with their rebellious attitudes and grumpiness and dissension and bitterness and all that stuff that hinders the movement of the Holy Spirit, our own flesh included, all that will be gone. And we'll be able to fellowship with Christ uninhibited, we won't care about our pride. We'll praise and shout as we have never done before. And we will fellowship with one another as we have never done before. And it will be the sweetest time that has ever existed in humanity. Even if there were no streets of gold, no mansion, none of those things, just that fellowship alone ought to be appealing to us. Now, let me, let me touch on a couple of verses about fellowship. Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. If you got your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. I am going to read it to you because I know Greg Goldman is driving down the road and I don't want him to be reading while he is driving. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 50. Jesus is talking. Let me find it here. It's always longer to find it when I know I'm on camera. They tell him that his mother and brother are standing outside waiting to see him. And Jesus says... For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now, when I used to read that, I would automatically think, well, that just means that if I do his will, I have the relationship of whatever my gender is. I'm his brother, I'm his sister. But notice, he says mother and sister and brother. So he uses the female gender twice, but he doesn't say that the same is my brother or my sister or my mother. He says... And because in the relationship with Jesus Christ, we can all have as close a relationship as a mother does to her baby son, as a sister does to her brother, as a brother does to her brother. Now, notice he didn't mention father because his father is in heaven, but all of the other relationships are available to us. I don't know what it is to be a mother, obviously. I've never been a mother because I'm a man. But I do know that there is a relationship, a relational bond that exists between a mother and a child that supersedes sometimes even the greatest bond between the father and the child. And Jesus said that intimacy of mom and child between Mary and baby Jesus can be yours because if you'll do my will, you can be my mother, you can be my brother, you can be my sister. So Brother Dusty, that's weird wording. I understand it's a little weird, but I want you to get that he's trying to lead you into the depth of the fellowship that you can have with him. Consider this, you know, I, Porter's at the house, and there'll be days when Anna will tell me in the morning, hey, Porter had a rough night. Did Dusty know anything about it? No, he did not. He slept all the way through it. And we do have a baby monitor on him, a camera, and uh, it's kind of freaky at night when he looks up at it, and you see his eyes glowing in the dark. I keep running in there thinking some kind of spooky monster's in there, but um, his monitor will kick on because he activates it, and, and I don't hear it. But there are times when the monitor doesn't even kick on. Anna just knows that something's not right. And she gets up in there and goes and fixes it. And I'm not even aware of it because that, that communion, that fellowship between the mother and the child is so great. Jesus says, hey, if you keep my word, you can have that relationship with me like a mother and a child. You can be like a brother 
to God. You can be a sister to God. The intimacy of those things. He said, you can have all of these things. Let me show you one other. This one, just bear with me, all right? Because I want you to get it. Uh, it's a little weird, too, because anytime we're talking about relationships and fellowship and closeness, sometimes it gets a little awkward, but I want to show you exactly what God is talking about. Turn to the book of Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, right before Joel. Hosea is the story of a man and his wife, and his wife is unfaithful to him, and he buys her back to himself. And then but he makes this statement in chapter 6. He says, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. He said, we'll know if we'll follow on to know the Lord. What does the word know mean in the Bible? All right. Can, can I discreetly remind you of something? What does the Bible mean when it says that a man went into a woman and he knew her? All right. It's talking about the most intimate relationship that exists between a man and a woman. And God is using the book of Hosea to illustrate the fact that if we'll go on, we will know the Lord, not in a sexual sense, but in the closeness of the intimacy of the married life. He's talking about, you'll know me not on a surface relationship, which 95% of Christians do. You'll know me on an intimate relationship, intimate relationship, all right? We all know each other at church, but nobody knows us like our spouse knows us. And God said, that's the kind of relationship that you can have with me. Fellowship, one with another and with God. Fellowship with him intimately, intimately. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. If you start off with, oh, he's God, he died for me, all of these impersonal facts, maybe it's because you don't really know him. You don't know what it is to have fellowship with him. You ever been riding around with Jesus? Oh, yeah, he rides with me all the time. All the time. In fact, sometimes when I'm just away and just riding, he gets in the car with me. Some song will come on or something I'm listening to, some sermon that I'm listening to uh, will come on. And Jesus just sits down next to me, puts his arm around me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Let me know. Give me some hearts or some thumbs up or something. If you know what I'm talking about, when God sits down next to you, and, you know, if you try to explain it to somebody, you they don't really get it. They don't get it because he didn't give it to them like he gave it to you. There's an intimacy there that only exists between you and God. And the joy we share as we tarry there. What's the last part? None other has ever known. Something between me and Jesus, y'all don't know nothing about. You can't touch it here. It's between me and him. And there's something between you and Jesus that I can't touch. Because he made you and in the intimacy and intricacies of your personality, he meets you where you are. And because he meets you where you are, you have a relationship with Christ that no one else on earth has. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just have not experienced what it means to have fellowship one with another. It is a feeling you cannot explain. That's exactly right, Miss Jan. And it is impossible almost to put into words without sounding awkward and weird. But it is a love relationship between me and God. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you don't know anything about Christianity. Because it's not a list of rules of what church you go to or denomination or what Bible you carry or the standards that you hold or the creed that you follow. It's none of those things. Christianity is about a vibrant, living relationship with the creator of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, and it continues all through the day, every day. And that's what Paul meant, pray without ceasing. doesn't mean I walk around all day with my head down, but my attitude's always in communion with God in heaven. I hope you know what I'm talking about. So, in 1 John, there are three descriptions, great descriptions of God. Two of them are nouns, one is an adjective. You can find chapter 1, verse 5. I'll give you a second. 229, chapter 4, verse 8, and verse 16. All right? There are these three traits about God or descriptions, and they all factor into this fellowship. Number one, God is light. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. All right? I had to get back there. I was all the way in Hosea. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 tells us that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then... Chapter 2, verse 29, 
tells us if we know that he is righteous, we know that every man that doeth righteousness is born of him. God is righteous. That's an adjective. And then chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16 is the most famous. It tells us that God is love. So God is light, God is righteous, and God is love. So understand when it comes to fellowship, what is the source of our fellowship? Well, you got to have eternal life first. That's what John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is talking about altogether. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father. That's the source of it. i got to have that to have fellowship. First thing. But the test of the fellowship is that I walk in the light. I walk in righteousness. I walk in love. Because God is light, God is righteous, and God is love. All right? And while we do get emotional when we talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ, that relationship has got to carry forward into light, righteousness, and love, or the relationship is not genuine. It's not genuine. People tell me all the time, me and God have an understanding. You do have an understanding, really. Does that understanding lead you to light, love, and righteousness? Because if it doesn't, then you're not walking in fellowship with him. You've created your own God created a pseudo-relationship that you have with him on your terms, and you have justified yourself by your own standards, which basically makes you the God, not him the God. He said, if you want to have fellowship with me, you got to meet me on my terms. I am light, I am righteousness, I am love. And the closer I get to God and the more intimate my fellowship is with Jesus, the more these things will be present in my life. Light, righteousness, and love. You say, but let's see, how do I get that? Well, that's where John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5 comes in. It's all by faith. And as we go forward in the book of 1 John, we will develop that more fully. But I want you to get those three things. We have fellowship, and that fellowship is based upon the fact that God is light, God is righteous, God is love. And if I have the eternal life, it will lead me deeper into the understanding of those things. All right? So, let me take a few minutes to relate 1 John, this idea of fellowship, to John's life, the Apostle John. Now, I don't know if you know it, but John was like the last apostle living, okay? He wrote most of what he wrote between 90 and 100 AD. Jesus died, what year? Roughly 33 AD, 30 AD, if he's writing 90 A.D., that's 60 years. So how old was he when he was a disciple? He was very young, all right? Probably in his early, early 20s because most people think that he died at nearly 100, that he was writing these things at 100. But his life is a life of fellowship with Jesus. So John 13, 23 talks about the fact that Jesus and his disciples are at the Last Supper. Now, they didn't call it the Last Supper because obviously only Jesus knew it was the Last Supper. And, but they get together and they're eating. And the Bible says that there was the disciple whom Jesus loved leaning on Jesus' bosom. Now, candidly, that's not terminology you and I would use. All right, When you lean on someone's bosom, that just sounds weird, all right? It does, but that's because we're judging things from a Western perspective and not an understanding of the Oriental custom. When it says he was leaning on Jesus' bosom, it just means that they reclined to eat, all right? So they're laying like this, eating. The person laying next to them's head would be near here, and it was said that they were laying on their bosom because they're, they're just close. So whoever was next to you was intimately close to you, simply because of the nature of the way they laid around the table. And so he's reclining on Jesus's bosom, and he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he did not mean by that he was the only disciple whom Jesus loved. It really wasn't a word of pride. The, when John says he was the disciple that Jesus loved, he's making and pointing out the fact that as sorry and as worthless as he was, Jesus still loved him. It wasn't anything of pride. It was a thing of humility. Hey, out of all of the wicked disciples, I'm the worst, and I'm the one Jesus loves. He loved all of them. And here he is reclining on Jesus' breast. So what is close fellowship? Close fellowship is leaning on the bosom of Jesus. See, in Western culture, if we get to know each other a little bit, 
if we want to further that relationship, we just invite each other over to eat. Hey, come to my house and eat, all right? Some of y'all on here are not friends with me because you've never invited me to your house to eat. What's wrong with you people? I mean, I sit at home all night thinking, wait, maybe the phone will ring. And then Anna finally gets up to fix something because, once again, nobody from Liberty invited us to eat. I'm teasing, of course. But in the Oriental culture, going over somebody's house to eat was not something that you took as a light thing. Because if you were invited into someone's home to eat with them, it meant that you were, you were given lifelong acceptance and friendship. And we see this in the Bible because when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Why? Because I'm going to your house today. That just didn't mean he was coming over to eat. That, that said something to Zacchaeus that, hey, he's accepting me. It's, it's a relationship that he wants to build. And even in um, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hear my voice and open the door, what will I do? I'll come in and what? Save him? No, I'll eat with him. What is that eating me? What's the fellowship part of it? And John's whole life was fellowship with Jesus Christ. Two things I want to point out about that. First is that fellowship with God can be very real in your old age. Right? So in a couple of weeks, I'll be 51. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. All right? I was hiking the other day, and I passed a man who was coming down the mountain. He said, I'll get out of your way. I'm old. I said, well, I'm old, too. He said, how old are you? I said, I'm 50. He said, I'm 70. I said, sorry, sir. I apologize. I'm not old from that perspective, I guess. But all of us feel old as we get older. We just do, because that's where we are in life. And sometimes when you get to a certain age and you kind of reflect back over your life, sometimes there's a sense that, hey, what about... What have I done with my 50 years? What have I had to show for my 50 years? I don't really like to think about it that much. But John, 1 John particularly, in these five books that he wrote at age 90 to 100, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, he wrote in his old age. And he had intimate fellowship with God in his old age. In other words, have any of us reached the place where we say, eh, too old now? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. God can still use us in our old age. Psalm 92, 14 ought to be your theme verse. Still bringing forth fruit in old age. That's what God wants us to do. And sometimes as we get older, we may feel that God has set us aside, that things have passed us by, that this is not to my liking. And you can either get grumpy, like a lot of old people I know, just bitter, or you can get like some other old people I know who are just rejoicing in the Lord, excited about what God is doing, setting aside their own preferences, and helping the younger generation embrace the faith and reality of the gospel. And God can still give us hope, and we can still have great fellowship with God in old age. The second thing about fellowship in relation to John's life is that John wrote the book of Revelation when he was on the Isle of Patmos. How many of y'all know about Alcatraz, right? the island in the San Francisco Bay that used to be a prison? And it was made to be a prison because of its isolation. And some of the hardest criminals in America were sent there, Al Capone and others, has a weird and twisted history. It's closed now, and I think you can go and take a tour. I'd love to do that sometime, get a church field trip up, go look at Alcatraz. I'd be glad to go. But the Isle of Patmos was like that. It was a deserted island where they dumped the hard, most hardened criminals on. Barren, rocky place. And John is dropped off there as an old man. And that's where he has the revelations that he gives us in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. He's revealing these things to us while he's there in his aloneness. Let me just say this to you. Sometimes God allows us to enjoy the benefit of fellowship with other Christians. And sometimes he takes that away from us. So that in our aloneness, we will learn to have fellowship with him. Because sometimes we allow the fellowship with one another to take and substitute for fellowship with him alone. He ceases to be enough for us and we seek to find fulfillment in these relationships instead of this one. And so sometimes he'll pull that away from us, pull us out of the fellowship of other Christians. 
either through sickness or struggle or difficulty. And by aloneness, I don't necessarily mean that no one's around you. Sometimes you're in the middle of a big crowd at your church, and yet you still feel so alone. Don't allow loneliness to overtake you, because loneliness can be a self-centeredness. It can be a sin. But aloneness is always a good thing, because it's the opportunity that God is giving you to seek Him. Try not to be too personal, but my life is the only thing I can draw experiences from. And those of you who know me know that you, know, you can look at me and look at Anna and you think, wow, how did that old man get that smoking hot young woman? That's because God is gracious, all right? So if you look at Zach, who is my the music worship leader here at our church, he's my oldest son, he's 25. It's pretty obvious that he's not Anna's child, all right? Because she's good looking and he's not. I'm teasing, buddy. So I am divorced and remarried. And I went for five years from my divorce to meeting Anna. I lived in a little single-wide trailer by myself for five years. And I got my kids every weekend. And as I look back over those five years of aloneness, while there was difficulty there, there's difficulty there, God met me in ways during those five years that I can't put into words. And there are things that I look back on and think about where God met me in my struggles and in my hardship and my difficulty that makes me cherish those years. Not so much that I, you know, I want to live alone, not that way, but cherish me in the lessons that he learned. See this huge Bible? It's a big old Bible. Wild Marge, this is the Bible I had when I went through those periods of time. And sometimes I get them down and I flip through and I see spots where I highlighted something or where I wrote something. And then sometimes I see parts of the pages all crinkled up. I remember that's because I was crying when I read it. The tears dripped down. I don't even remember why I was crying at that particular moment, but it just reminds me that God met me right there. And in that aloneness, that aloneness, God desires to create fellowship with him. Sometimes he takes away all of this fellowship. Not so that you can sit over in a corner and have pity and pout. And nobody's your friend. You know, that kind of attitude, which is so much a part of our personality. But he sets us over in the corner so we will seek to find our fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he does that. He does it. He does it on purpose. And so don't, don't allow yourself to get bitter. This is an opportunity to seek God. And for those of you, and I say this in all gentleness, having walked down that road and now I'm on the backside and God has given me an incredible woman in my life. But if you find yourself suddenly through your own error or not your own error, all by yourself, don't seek a husband. Don't seek a wife. Seek God and let him bring you what you need when you need it because he knows way better than you do. Because you won't choose well, <laughs> you'll pick stupidly, you'll use the wrong set of values, your loneliness will just overwhelm you, you'll settle for something when God has something better in store. And the better thing is that you find your fulfillment in fellowship with him first, and then he can bring you the person in his perfect timing. I'm just giving it from my own experiences, sometimes that aloneness is intentional that you can find him. And John finds himself as an old man, separated from his family, separated from the church he pastored at Ephesus, all alone, on the Isle of Patmos, all by himself. But God meets with him, and we have the book of Revelation to prove it. And it's been true of every Christian. You can look up these verses sometime. 2 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, Everyone in Asia has turned away from me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Everybody forsook me. You ever been there? You ever walked in those shoes? You feel like you're just all by yourself. Everybody you left, people you depended on, people you counted on, people you knew would be your friend to the end. Now they don't speak to you. You don't even really know why. Can't even figure it out. Those are relationships where you just go, what I do? what I do? I don't even know what I did. But hey, don't get bitter. Go to Jesus. Build a fellowship with him. That when all else fails, you have that rock, that anchor to depend upon. Then you'll find in time, he'll bring things around in your life. 
and in such a way restore to you that fellowship tenfold. The only way I know that is because he's done it for me. I know he can do it for you too. And so when I stand at liberty and I see the people that God has brought into my life, you know, I can't I can't cry every Sunday. I, I don't want to get Matt's world out there and be robbing him of his his tears. But I have some too sometimes. It's not as vocal about them because our personalities are different. I'm thankful, but I want to cry when I consider just how good God has been to me by bringing me into this place. When I was all alone, there was a verse in Psalms. I don't have it off the top of my head because I didn't write it down, but I do remember it. It says, God setteth the solitary in families. What family? Oh, the family of God, the church family, and the family of this relationship with him, with all other believers. It's an incredible thing to think about. Now, in closing, let's consider 1 John's contribution to the Bible itself, all right? He's emphasizing fellowship, and more than any other book, John talks about fellowship. Lots of books talk about certain things, but there's certain books in the Bible that just emphasize a truth. And 1 John's is fellowship in terms of the family. If you read John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you get this idea that John's writing to families. I mean, 2 and 3 John, he's, he's, he's not, Paul writes to the churches, all right? John's just writing to people. He's writing to the family, the family of believers, individuals, all right? And when he refers to Christians, he doesn't call them sons like Paul does. He calls them children, my little children. That's what he calls them. Even in 1 John chapter 3, where he says, Brother, beloved, now are we the sons of God. The word sons there is child, right? And John uses the word for child that is the intimate word. So when he's calling us a child, he's calling us a little child. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, he writes, I write to you, little children. I write to you, young men. I write to you, fathers. Why is he writing like that? Because he's the family writer. He's writing to this family of fellowship together. And let, let me just say this as gently as I know how, but there's some things that aggravate me a little bit. And this is my platform to get out of my system. And if it lands in your lap, praise the Lord. Thank you for dealing with me, Lord. And if it doesn't have anything to do with you, just let it roll. But Sometimes people get to know the Word of God and they begin to grow in their knowledge of the Bible. So much so that normal preaching doesn't feed them. These are their words, not mine. Anymore. And so they get more out of it if they'll just stay home and study the Word of God. I don't have to worship at a church to worship. I can't get anything out of their preaching anyway. It's just so shallow. Let me remind you, you can get something out of anybody preaching if you'll come with a humble heart to receive it. Even mine, you can get something if you'll be humble enough to receive it. But the point is, is that if you have fellowship with God, it always produces family fellowship. That's what John is saying. It's always produces family fellowship. In other words, if I'm having fellowship with God, I will want to fellowship with other Christians. So don't talk to me about your great spirituality if you're not going to church. You're not being spiritual. You're being unspiritual. You're being a baby, not mature. I go to church so I can get something from God's Word that's true. And at Liberty, I'm glad I get something from God's Word. But that's not the only reason I go. Even if we had the sorriest preacher in America, and we certainly do not, I'd still go because I need the fellowship I need the accountability. I need somebody looking at me and checking on me and encouraging me. I need those things. And if you ever get in your Christian life where you're above fellowship with other believers, you're not spiritual. You're unspiritual. You're immature. That's what the Bible teaches us. Fellowship with God always produces family fellowship. And you're not so deep that you don't need a church family. You need a church family. And these guys, I don't think, I'm not thinking about anybody particularly. Maybe I am. You. Uh, these guys who will never commit to a church family. Never commit. Just kind of go to this church for a while. Go to this church for a while. Go to this. You can never establish the relationships and the fellowship that you need if you won't be faithful. And some of you say you go to Liberty. You go to Liberty once a month. Twice a month I see. How will you ever develop the family if you don't come? If you're not part of it? 
Get here and get involved with things. That's what creates the family. Don't stand out there on the fringe looking in to see what's going on, but never willing to take that step to invest. Hey, if you find what you need at Liberty, join. Join. So brother, so why do I have to join? Here's why you have to join, all right? Because in the world in which we live, we have to have insurance. We do. And I can't let somebody work in our nursery as a female that's not a member because we're not covered in that insurance. You've got to be part of us to fall under the legal parameters. I can't let a guy serve on the safety team if he's not part of us. Because I haven't done the background check. I can't do these things on him that I have to do. in this. So join and identify yourself. I mean... Going to a church, and Pastor Matt probably get mad at me. I'll get fussed at tomorrow, but it's all right. Going to a church and enjoying all of the benefits of the church, but not joining, is like sleeping with the girl and not marrying her. Yeah, you get all the benefits of the purpose of the relationship, but you won't commit. Commit, join. Well, that's all the way I can join Liberty. Then go find one where you can get involved in the fellowship. Commit to serving others. The reason why we won't do it is because we don't want to make the commitment. We don't want the demands placed upon us. Our affection lies elsewhere. We find fellowship somewhere else. But I'm just here to remind you that being part of the church is the fellowship. And if you have fellowship with God, you will want fellowship with other Christians. And you won't do it ninja style, sneaking in. You'll commit to being part of it. That's Those are my words of wisdom. And uh, I can see from the emojis I'm already getting that not only will Matt fuss at me tomorrow, but Anna will get me when I get home. And a few others will probably send me an email. It's all right. You know it's true, okay? Because the book of 1 John is part of the general epistles, right? Got the prison epistles, the pastoral epistles, the general epistles. Here are your general epistles, all right? James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2, 3 John, Jude, seven of them, all right? And these general epistles are the reality epistles because they make you check yourself to see if what you say you believe is genuine notice that they are at the end of the bible the only thing left is the book of revelation you know some of you might be reading through your bible in the year you've been through the bible well these seven books say hey you've been through the bible has the bible been through you have you just read it or has it transformed your life see i wrote these down for you james gives us the work test the works test of reality. You say you believe it, where's the works? Show it to me. That's what James gives us. First Peter gives us the pilgrim life test. Are you not supposed to be part of this world? You're supposed to be a pilgrim life on a journey to another country. And if you're not going that way, why are you doing going? You can't be a believer and go that way. Can two walk together except they will be agreed? Go this way. Second Peter is the Christian growth test. Grow in grace. That's what he tells us. Add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, patience, temperance, these things that he talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1, that we should be investing these things in your life. And if you're not growing, guess what you're doing? You're dying, all right? Because there's no static Christian. You can't stay stationary. You're either moving forward in your relationship or you're moving backwards, all right? There's no other way around it. And then 1 John gives us the fellowship test. You walk in fellowship with God? You have fellowship with your brethren? You can't have fellowship with your brethren? You can't have fellowship with God? Those two things work together. Those two things work together. And then 2 John gives us the separation test. Have we separated ourselves from the false teaching and the worldliness of the world? Have we? 3 John gives us the hospitality test of reality. Are our arms open to those who are of like precious faith? Are we part of this fellowship together? Are we withholding others? It's interesting to note that 2 John on separation from false teachers is written to a woman. 3 John on hospitality is written to a man. Because... Naturally, as Eve illustrated, women have a more emotional tendency to get sucked into some things sometimes, and men have a tendency to not be kind and hospitable. And so John writes to these things. Write me an email about that, too. And then Jude gives us the preservation test. Hey, if you're real, you will last. You will stick it out. You will stick, stay away from the false teachers. You will make it through. That's the test. And so we come to the end of this. And we see that 1 John is right where it needs to be with these books that give us the big index finger, all right? Not the middle finger, the index finger. It goes, do you, get in the camera, have you done what you said you would do? Are you a true believer? Are you walking in fellowship? Show me your works. Show me your pilgrim life. Show me your separation. Show me your preservation. 
You've been through the Bible. Has the Bible been through you? Is it real? We need it. We need to be reminded of these things. And so, in conclusion tonight, 1 John, fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with other believers. And let me just remind you, back before I got saved, well, back when I went right with God, because I got saved at five years old, and there wasn't a whole lot of living I did before that. God saved me from sins like went in the bed and stuff like that, disobeying my parents. Uh, I'm sure some of that's coming back around eventually, but when you get away from God and you try to have fellowship with the world, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There's no satisfaction, no fulfillment. There's just an emptiness. Especially if you're a believer, you just you just sense God, the Holy Spirit, saying, are you done? Are you done yet? Are you done? No fellowship. But when you make it right, and you get in a right standing with God, and you're in right standing with your fellow believers, there is no fellowship like that fellowship. And just think, this is just the foretaste of the fellowship we're going to enjoy around the throne of God one day. The worst place to be is out of fellowship. The best place to be is in fellowship. In fellowship. And I've just realized the whole time I've been teaching, I've been looking at the wrong end of my iPad. So I know the camera's here now, now that I'm done. But don't miss in my getting on people the truth of walking in fellowship with him. And let me say, the greatest privilege that I have is to serve at Liberty Church and to have fellowship one with another. And I look forward to seeing you at 930 and at 11 o'clock and at Life Group and any other time you want to have fellowship whether you want to go for coffee, whether you want to sit down and discuss God's word, whatever it might be. If you want to have fellowship together, have all things in common as we work for our God and be about our Father's business, you're in the right place because there's no life like a life of fellowship. Thank you for watching. I hope that you have enjoyed it and encouraged you. If this was a blessing to you, would you do me a favor? Just share it when we get done. It's easy to click the share button at the bottom. Let other people know about what God is doing at Liberty Church and invite somebody. I know last Sunday was Friend Day, but every Sunday's Friend Day. Bring somebody to church because our world is desperately looking for what we have found in fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Thanks so much for watching. Have a good night.